welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast. I am your host, Cody McBroom, the CEO of Tailored Coaching Method, a world-renowned online coaching company. This podcast is built to help you create a life by design. That's what the Tailored Life is. It's choosing to blaze your own path, make your own decisions, and create a life you desire. So in this podcast, you're going to learn ways to optimize your body, optimize your mind, optimize your relationships and optimize your business and career this is the podcast for personal development junkies and people who can't stop growing because they strive for more we are also going to bring on experts in every single field to teach you their own expertise so you're not only learning from me four days a week but I'm bringing other professionals in to teach you their principles too so if you love personal development and you constantly want to strive for more in life this is the podcast for you. Make sure you hit subscribe, send this to a friend that needs it, and keep listening to improve your life all around. And without any further ado, let's get into the Tailored Life Podcast. All right, back at it. Another Q&A. IG Q&A. IG Q&A. All Instagram questions today. We've got a lot from the Q&A request. I would be interested if there's anybody listening who follows me. I hope there is. <laughs> There's probably quite a few. Um, so I, I, I never, it's, it's too hard to tell what they prefer when I like look at, like, I mean, you, you know, like we were talking about the, the post I did today, the swipe post yeah. with content, I can look at my insights and I go, okay, this post got this many likes, this many comments, this many shares, this many saves, this many follows, uh, overall reach. Like I can see all the analytics of like, oh, this post works well. People fucking like this. I should do more of these. But with stories, it's really hard. Like you mm-hmm. can kind of see views. But for example, the weekend, my story gets way more views than the weekdays. Probably because people are sitting around. I'll post a picture of like the beer I'm drinking and I get three times as much engagement as like really good content <laughs> yeah. during the week on my story. So much value. So much value there. <laughs> um, uh, and I think that's just because people are sitting around on a Saturday. You know? And I'm not posting educational shit on Saturday because I'm sitting down drinking a beer with lunch. Like, yeah. but, um, I'm curious of, of number one, when people watch Q and A's, cause I usually do them on Monday, but I'm like, is Monday really the best day to post for a Q and A on my story and, and answer the questions on my story? Because Monday to me, it's like, Oh, start of the week. Let's do a Q and A. But yeah. the other side of it is like, Oh, start of the week. They're busy as fuck. I am too. Is that really the best day? You know? And then I see people like, uh, I was talking to Jordan Syed about this. I mean, he does them like every other day, Yeah, but it's also because he gets, 10,000 questions <laughs> in a single one. So he'll yeah. post, he'll do it for a day and then wait a day and do it again, you know? Um, so I'm just curious if you're listening and you engage with my content or you like the Q and A stuff, um, shoot me a DM and let me know, like number one, if you, if you miss them and you don't check them on Monday, let me know that. So I can maybe wait till Wednesday or whatever. But also do you like enjoy me talking to the camera and giving you the answer or a picture because I go back and forth. Some, like if you look at business people, they'll say different things of like use pictures. It's more engaging and they can hold it and read it. And then other people are like, no, talk to the camera because then it's more personal. You still hold it. It just makes, makes you, you stop talking. Yeah. But uh, you know what I'm saying? So like <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and they then can't I, get the answer if they hold the screen. Exactly. Okay. So do you enjoy me? Like the, the hard part about like talking it through, I don't know why they have this function, but <clears throat> if I film a story, I can do like three or four in a row, you know, in one filming thing. If you're answering questions, you can only do one 15 second clip. It stops. So that's why like I, I'm like talking, talk, talking, hit the question again, talk, talk, talk. You have to like break it up. Whoa. So some of it's like, I can't answer this in a single clip. So like yesterday I did a bunch and now I still have a ton more than I'm gonna do today, but they're all ones that I couldn't, there's no way I could have done in 15 seconds gotcha. or even 30 seconds if I wanted to refilm a second part. Um, 
So I kind of do it that way too. But then like, you know, I think there's some people who I like watching them talk. There's some people like Jordan. I love his stories because I just don't like his voice. (laughs) No, (laughs) there's some people I like. (laughs) He doesn't, he doesn't do that. Right. So he does the pictures like we were talking about and, but his pictures are fucking hilarious. I'm like, why do you have so many pictures of you doing weird things and making funny faces? Like, and that's just him, you know, but like, that's why I engage with it. So I was like, okay, well, does that work for me? Cause I don't have any funny pictures. Like I'm not that kind of guy. So, um, my point being is if, if you like the Q and A's on my Instagram, number one, go engage with them. Number two, DM me and let me know like what way you like to do it. Cause yeah. I'm, I'm really, really trying to work hard to narrow down what kind of content I do and how I deliver it to make sure it's the, the most effective for you specifically. Do you have uh, self-esteem issues? Because I'm going to argue with you. I think you do have a lot of hilarious pictures, but you refuse to let me post them or, <laughs> or send them to you. No. So I don't think those are hilarious. I think I just That's look, my point. I just think I look weird. That's my point. Yeah. But Someone like, else may be like, that's freaking hilarious, dude. And you'd be like, no, I'm not posting Yeah, that. okay. But here's the thing. That's, uh, that's laughing with you and laughing at you. Because if, if it was hilarious to somebody, it would be laughing at me, which is fine. I don't give a shit if you laugh at me. But like the, the last one where I was walking out the garage where I told you I didn't like it. I wasn't doing anything remotely funny. You didn't think it was a funny picture? No. I just looked at it. I was like, I look fucking stupid. I don't like it. Yeah. You know? Jordan posts one where his, like, cheeks are full of french fries and they're coming out of his mouth. <laughs> it's like, why do you have that picture? You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird things where he's wearing a wig and he's doing something funny. He's, like, skating on rollerblades with a, what's that one artist? Uh, Bob. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. Whatever his name is on a shirt. I almost said Bob Saget, but. Uh, I almost said that, too. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Famous. Bob Ross. Bob Ross on a shirt. He's rollerblading in Times Square. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I'm not laughing at him. I'm laughing with him or a combination of both. Uh, Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. The the pictures that we have that I don't like. I still disagree with you. I think there's some pictures that I think are hilarious, but. Name one. Like the ones you do that are like caption this. You know, people aren't laughing at you. They're just, man, that's. Yeah. That's humorous. Yeah. I would I can use those for my story all day. Okay. I just don't know what to write content wise. There that. you go. Yeah, yeah. So those were good for your story. That's or true. like even like uh ones where you just staring at the screen. So if somebody asks a dumb question, you can just yeah. literally have your face staring at the yeah. screen. Like Blank somebody, stare. somebody somebody asked Jordan a question. Is it true that taking a a shower after your meal helps burn more calories? I was like, dude, who's asking you questions? I think at this point, because he has these funny responses. Like, I think people are just trying to get a funny response. Who the fuck would think taking a shower after eating a meal? Yeah. It also creates engagement, I guess. Like, some people, that's, you know, if 100 people will look at that and say, what? Someone asked that? Yeah. You know? They just come back to see what stupid questions he gets. I, 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 I watch all the stories, and I skip through until I see a dumb question that's fucking hilarious. Yeah. That's it. I don't, I don't pay attention to him actually teaching. <laughs> like, not that, I mean, he's a great teacher, and he's really smart, but... I can, I mean, me and him talk and we can talk about, like, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll dive into the weeds on that shit all the time. Totally. But all right. Speaking of, uh, interesting questions, let's, uh, get into it. Um, first one we got today is from Everett Adam it says recommendations for building your online training business platform. Where should someone start? Hmm. My first recommendation is to hire somebody. I think that, you know, a lot of times people, I don't know. I think, I think people, if you just hire somebody, number one, you're going to get experience. You know, I see a lot of people that love training. They train themselves and I'm like, and they're like, I want to get into the training space. I want to start online training business or coaching business, nutrition business on a personal, anything. I'll start a gym. 
oh, dope. Like, do you have a coach? Um, and uh, <laughs> that was the squeakiest coffee mug I've ever heard. Whoops. Um, do you have a coach? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, well, that's a problem. Yeah. Do you know what online coaching actually looks like? Besides seeing fucking people on Instagram, which is not reality. You know, I think so. I think that's that's a big one. Um, obviously, getting certified in multiple things. I think, you know, personal training certificates are great, and I think you need them to back you up. But I think more important than that, you need to take more scientific-based certification courses that are specific to programming for training or nutrition, depending on which route you go. You said online training, so I'm assuming you're more of a trainer than a nutritionist. But the reason I say that is because when I had people at the gym, I would there was two types of people. There was people that were very, uh, into training and I would have, a, a, I have their monthly program. I know what they're doing for the next month, right? We have some progressions week to week. So I have week one, week two, week three, week four, and then I recreate it and we keep going. And I have an idea over the next three to four months, what we're attacking. So it was very methodical. Then I had other people that they just wanted to come in and get a challenge. They were like, I don't really give a shit about changing my my body. I'm more here for a mental purpose. It's stress relief. It's a mental push. I have fun. I like the sense of community. So it was literally like they walk in the door and based on their body language and energy and, and their uh, like initial introduction to me, like hey, saying hi. Um, that's not an introduction. What is that? When somebody walks in and says hi to you. I don't know. Kind of an introduction, I yeah. guess. There's another word for it. But. but I'm not fucking meeting you for the first time. Yeah. But they walk in and I see them. They're greeting. They greet me. Yeah. And, uh, what are they, are they, do they look stressed? Do they look tired? Do they look fucking stoked to be there? Are they like, like you in that mode them. where they don't even say hi, they just walk in cause they're ready to go. Yeah. Then I go to the whiteboard and I write what they're going to do today. You know what I mean? So it's like, I might know it's an upper body day or I might know it's a full body day every time. And I base their training and their intensity and how much we're going to do and what we're going to do on their body language and their energy coming in the door. At most with those people, I would know this person's squatting today because I know they did group classes that deadlifted yesterday or two days ago and they did upper body yesterday. They have a rest day tomorrow, whatever it may be. Like I know their main lifts, but I don't know. Are we going to back squat, box squat, front squat, goblet squat, trap bar squat? You know what I mean? Like it's kind of like on the fly. The reason I'm saying this, you can't do that in online coaching. You hire me online. I need to write you a prescribed and periodized program that is mapped out for the next ideally, you know, 12 weeks, realistically, yeah. like even if I give you four week blocks or like three week blocks, which is usually what I do, because if I have a 12 week template and then I give you three weeks at a time, I can every week go, how you doing? How are things going? How are things feeling? Where's your performance? Let me see your progressions and then go, okay, that's going to influence the next block. Right. So it adapts, but you have to have that written out ahead of time, you know? So I think that you can't get by with freestyling a program when you do online training period. Like, you know, like in the gym, if you come in and I know, you're challenged, you have fun, the music's good, like, you're gonna be happy, you know, online coaching, I don't know where your gym's at, I don't know what kind of music you're listening to, I don't know what kind of mood you're in that day, I just have to make sure you get results, so I think, like, and again, going back to the certification thing, personal training certificates talk a lot about personal training, they don't talk enough about periodization, progressions, creativity within program design. So I think going out and getting some some real-world experience and in, in certifications from somebody like Joe DeFranco, John Russin, um, James Fitzgerald, OPEX, whatever kind of style you're training you're into. Um, there's even like physique courses online that you can take through like Lane Norton, Eric Helms. Um, Eric Helms does a series of them. Mike Zordos does one, two in there, and I can't remember what it's called. I actually took some of my coaches through it. It's uh, 
I think it's called the PT hub or something. It's online personal training hub or something like that. I don't know. But point being is go through that kind of stuff and learn real deal program design. I think you're going to be much better off in the online setting. So that's step one. Step two is, is you have to start. How many steps is there? I have no idea. We'll find out. All right, there we go. Let's go. (laughs) I'm just kind of throwing them out. Um, Step two is going to be creating content and, uh, (laughs) <laughs> I, I record podcasts like I did uh, personal training. Yeah. <laughs> I just kind of wing it. Yeah. I'm just playing. I didn't wing it completely. Um, I do wing this though, 100%. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> which is kind of funny because like, I'm just going to say this real quick. You can take that two different ways. That's horrible. He doesn't even fucking prepare this podcast or damn, he really knows his shit. Yeah. Which is what I like to think. And I, it's more natural for me if we just. There's no way that someone's going to think negatively because you don't prepare your podcast. Yeah. I know. I'm just saying some people are so methodical. I think it like makes their podcast robotic. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, but, uh, step two would be obviously creating content and getting your name out there. So I think content a lot, I wouldn't even say content. I would say marketing. Mm-hmm. I think content falls within marketing. So you have to market yourself, which means that you need to decide what is your brand about? You know, if you are the brand, it's your name literally, or if your brand is a company name, what is that? What is the message? Who are you targeting? What's your niche market? Um, then create content for free to be as valuable as possible and reach as many people as possible. Um, Then help as many people as you can through email, through message, through DM, through connections you know people, text, like any way you can, answer questions, help people, help people, help people. It also means going and connecting with other gyms and PTs and chiros and massage therapists and people who potentially might have people walking in the door that need your help. Connect with them, network, build your network so you can send them people when your clients get hurt or need massage or recovery and they can send you people when their clients need to lose weight or get stronger. And now you're building this network. So marketing is 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 a huge umbrella with all these different categories in it. And I think you need to diversify yourself within all those. You need to, I would say within that is writing a blog. Not enough people write blogs. I don't care if you, you don't get a single fucking client off of a blog, write more blogs because in order to write a two to 5,000 word article on a specific topic, volume, or the bicep curl, mobile, hip mobility, anything, you need to do research, you need to have experience, and you need to be able to educate and teach people pretty well without confusing them. So it makes you a better coach if you're writing those articles. And obviously for SEO purposes, it helps on Google. But um, so step one, like I said, get certified with the right things. Number two is going to be marketing in general yourself. Um, and then number three, I would say literally it's, it's consistency and patience. Like I think too many people at the beginning overcomplicate what they're doing. You know, if you look at, if you look at me, if you look at what I do for this business, and if you look at what Tailored Coaching Method puts out, does, invest in, has, operates with systems, it's cool to look at, but it's not going to be applicable to you if you just started your business or you haven't started yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's not to say that you can't follow in our footsteps, but it means that we're so far ahead of you if you're just starting I've been doing this 10 years. So I think that you got to go back to when I first started and look at what I was doing there because before you can implement systems, invest money in high-level things, do uh, advertising, anything like that, build a team, scale, you got to build the foundation, which comes from doing the work, going through education, and just giving free value as much as possible. Yeah. And be patient as fuck. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. It is. I want to make hard. a, sh- dude, I want to make a shirt that says patient as fuck. That would actually be a cool shirt. Yeah. Maybe like we can I make think, the U. I think patience would be dope. I think patience would be dope too. Because it, it would ra- raise an eyebrow. People are like, why does he just have patience? Mm-hmm. Just think about it. We could do patience AF. 
Yeah. I, I like the as fuck, man. I know you do. I think I wanted to, so, <laughs> so like I wanted to, uh, hopefully nobody steals my idea. idea. <laughs> what doesn't matter because I'm not selling shirts, so yeah. maybe I'll do this next. But um, I wanted to do a tailored shirt, like a series of like as fucks. So like patience as AF, consistent AF, you know what I mean? Committed AF, like all these different things where it's like your core values of what leads to success, yeah. you know? It'll humble as fuck. Like I think those would be super dope. And people obviously like if they, if I was selling, they could like resonate with whatever one. For but sure. the patience one for sure. Yeah. And it's just simple. Just the text with a period at the end. That'd be sick. It'd be so dope. That's the key. Man, that's, that is the ultimate key to success is patience. Yeah. And it's so fucking hard. Dude, it's so, so hard. hard. That's in, I, I applaud anybody, yourself included, because I'm that person that someone said, hey, you need to go back to the basics. <laughs> yeah, fucking right. I'm, yeah. A, I'm almost 35, you know. There's no way. Well, we've, I mean, you and I have had conversations with, with like, some of the stuff we've done where we've overcomplicated and we're like, yeah. man, we got to slow down. We yeah. got to dumb Absolutely. it down. And it's like, fuck. And I think that's hard too because you're creative. So for, for trainers, like I know trainers who they're so smart, but they're speaking above their client's language. Yeah. And, and they're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm too smart for this. Like yeah. I should be working with these people. And I'm like, okay, but if you have zero marketing and reach or connections, good luck finding those people. Yeah. You got to start with the people who, who are at the bottom. Like, and that's the only way to build it up. But – from a business, from a business standpoint, I think you're extremely fortunate that you found that at 20 yeah, some years old. I agree. Because other people would be like, "Dude, I need to get an income." Yeah. I need it. Like it makes it you're way, like, I have nothing to lose. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> I it have makes, no income. It makes it way easier. <laughs> yeah. Um. And that drive at that age. Yeah. I, I think it was just man, like failing at so many things at a certain point, you find something that you can, like you, like you get like an ounce of belief that you could crush or it. Traction. You're like, yeah. I'm going all in on this. Cause I mean, you know, I horrible at school. Yeah. So it was like school always failed. I was never like the elite athlete. There was always these things like, even as a, like a, a kid, you know, skateboarding, yeah. snowboard, everything really. Like there was nothing I was like exceptional at. There was nothing to brag about me about. Like my parents love me, but you know what I mean? <laughs> There's nothing like, <laughs> like, achievements yeah. like and and so like for me as soon as I found fitness I was like dude I gotta go on in this but I was very impatient I think for me when I had a conversation there's two conversations I had with Luca when I was interning uh one I was probably working for him but he was my mentor and like that he had with me that I was like okay I need to be patient and one of them was around my physique we were training and I was they weren't tracking their diet or doing anything. Yeah. They were fucking monsters. And I was doing everything by the book. And I didn't look remotely close to how jacked they were. And I was like pissed. And I was frustrated. And he was like, how long have you been training? I was like, dude, it's, I'm on my third year now. He's like, oh, I'm on my 16th. And I was just like, oh, because he's been training since 14. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Hugh, how long have you been training? Nine. I'm like, oh. all right. I'll shut the fuck up. Yeah. You know, there's a reason they look like that. Yeah. Um, but there's also people that I, I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm from a genetic li- freaks. Well, I don't even think that dude. I don't know, man. Some people get shredded in, in less than a year. Like absolutely shredded. I hate to shredded. say it. Like, shredded is easier though. Like, so what I was at, I was lean. Dude, building muscle takes so much longer than losing fat because I got really lean at that point where I just went on a serious diet for three months and I was fucking diced, but I just didn't have much muscle to me. I was just lean. I could see my abs. But these dudes were fucking huge, you know, like big shoulders, big arms, like vascular. I didn't have any of that. Uh. And it was because I didn't have time building muscle. Mm. So I think getting shredded and, and being jacked are just two different things. But there's also the people like 
and I'm not going to say any names, but we both know somebody. It's actually one of our friends, uh, fiance's younger brother, who was mm. wrestling since he was a little fucking kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just a little monster. He's jacked. And yeah. he was always jacked. Went to sc- I remember seeing him after he was, uh, I don't know, where, I think he went to Central or something, but uh, he went to college for two years. And yeah. he came back in the summer, and I was, I was at a get-together or something. I was, we were drinking. And this dude can drink. I mean, he's in yeah. college. Yeah. Not playing sports anymore. Doesn't really lift weights. He told me this. And I was like, you're still fucking jacked. Yeah. Like, you're ripped. Why? It's because he was wrestling at eight years old. Yeah. And he was putting his body through those adaptations at such a young age that his body morphed from age eight to 18. You know what I mean? So I think, like, whereas my body morphed, <laughs> like, in the opposite way from age eight to 18. So I had to play catch up. So there's always that, too, with the people that are, like, genetically, like, he could go on a diet and look jacked. He didn't have to train to get there. You know what I mean? So there's that. Um I was listening to a podcast this morning and Steve Hall said something really cool where it was like, um, it was, it was about genetics and he was basically like, um, people will say genetics play the biggest role. Um, but they're talking to somebody who's been lifting for 10 plus years. And I was like, that's a good point. Because if you look at Steve Hall, like you're like, dude, he's a, he's a beast. I mean, he is really committed to natural bodybuilding. I mean, like probably the most committed person that I know in natural bodybuilding. It's pretty crazy. It's, it's impressive. But he's a monster. And you would think, like, oh, that guy's great genetics if you look at him. Mm-hmm. But if you look at, like, his childhood and everything, he was, like, the scrawniest little kid. Horrible genetics for muscle. What happened? He trained, like, a very committed bodybuilder for over a decade. Yeah. You know? So I think there's always that, too. Um, but, yeah, like, for me, that, that like, laid in the patience. And there was another conversation where I was bitching about uh, taxes. <laughs> I was bitching about taxes getting pulled out of my paycheck. <laughs> and then uh, – like I had a conversation with him about like the taxes he pays as a business owner and uh, what it took to build the gym and what it, like all these different things and how long. And, and it was just like, man, I'm looking at this like small picture. Yeah. Like there's, definitely. there's a lot more to it, you know? Um, but yeah, for sure, man. All right. Let's uh, get on to the next question. Do you think, Oh, this one comes from Otter Julia. Do you think if heavy back squat and deadlift, do you think if heavy back squat, wrong. yeah. Do you think back squats and deadlifts are? Not safe for your spine. Yeah. Um, no, I think this is like the conversation where like people would say like uh, lunges are bad for your knees. It's like, no, lunges aren't bad for your knees. The way you lunge is bad for your knees. So squatting isn't bad for your back. Okay, so I shouldn't even say squatting because squatting is like a very universal movement pattern. Heavy squatting is what she said. So I'm assuming she's saying put a bar on your back and do a heavy squat. Number one, heavy is all relative. What are we talking about here? Are we talking heavy for a single? Are we talking about heavy for eight reps? Are we talking heavy for a 100-pound female or a 200-pound male? You know, it's just all relative. So if it depends on that. Um Heavy also depends on your core strength and your stability and your joints and your mobility in your joints. It just depends on so many things. I think that heavy squats and deadlifts are unsafe for your spine if you are brand new to lifting slash have very low uh, motor skills when it comes to movement quality. So basically motor skills being can you execute a squat properly with a, with a load? If you can't with a light load, Heavy squats are definitely dangerous for your 
for your spine. But saying as a blanket statement, heavy squats and deadlifts are bad for your spine is incorrect. You know, I also think there's something to say about like, uh, okay, heavy squats for somebody who has, uh, like there's two types of, uh, I mean, there's a million types of anatomical people, Mm -hmm. but there's two types of people when it comes to like lower body extremities. Usually there's, uh, Long femurs, usually they have a wide hip too, but not always, but long femurs and short femurs. I have short femurs, which is the bone in my thigh, which means when I squat, I'm very upright, mm-hmm. right? I'm very tall, very quad dominant. Somebody with long femurs is very um, hip dominant. They sit back into the squat more. Back squats are, tend to be a little bit more dangerous for their lower back, especially if they don't have good ankle mobility or a strong core to be able to brace that because it turns into like a good morning. So like obviously you, you listening can't see this, but like for you, Travis, like this or this, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like upright is going to be quad dominant. But there's certain people that just have long femurs oh, and they have no choice but to sit back into it. That obviously adds another dynamic. You have to pay more attention to hip mobility, how, how far you can actually rotate. So the further you can open your hips in that hip dominant squat, the more upright you can stay. You got to worry about your, your core from an internal perspective. So like transverse abdominis, pelvic floor, like the inner core, not just your six pack. How, how much brace and stability does, do you have there to be able to protect any issue that would happen when you're doing a hip dominant squat? So those things play a role, but like, let's say there's a femur, like a long femur hip dominant squatter that has scoliosis. Oh my gosh, dude. That is somebody who, Shannon. Oh my God. That's Shannon. You know, I'm not loading a heavy bar on her back. Yeah. Like there's just no fucking reason. And she's like, I don't give a shit what I back squat yeah. like, at all, you know? So like it, obviously for her it's just pointless but let's say somebody comes to me and they're in that situation and they do want to have your squat there's a lot more risk there so we might squat less frequently we might do more submaximal than maximal work we might do more variations of the squat versus just back squatting all the time um somebody like that i think more of a conjugate approach works better to where you don't back squat every week you know you go back squat week one box squat week two zercher squat week three front squat week four so you're always squatting with load but you're not always doing a heavy back squat on your back. You're going heavy in different variations to avoid overuse injuries, which are more common for somebody like that. Yeah. Somebody like me, who can stay upright. It's, it's, I can, I probably get more benefit of squatting every week and trying to progress over time. My issue where I get hurt is because my core just doesn't turn on when it needs to. So that's a completely unrelated topic, but it's all, it's just all so context specific. I think that's what I'm getting at. Totally. You know, you can't say heavy squats are bad for you, bad for your spine because there's bad so for, many bad for who exactly yeah. like they're bad for your squat. If, Yada, 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 right? The, whereas like deadlifts, same thing. Deadlifts, um, if you have really long legs, you have more length or like distance to travel from the floor. That adds some kind of variability to it, you know? So I think it's just, it's, it's all dependent on the person. Um, I don't think it's a blanket statement that you can say heavy squats or deadlifts are bad for your spine. I think how you squat and, and your biomechanics determine if it's safe or not. And more than that, it determines the safety of doing it frequently. Yeah. You might just need to change variations more often. Yeah. That first example looked painful. Femur dominant. Yeah. Or long femur hip dominant scoliosis. It's like you're lift. You're not lifting with your legs. You're lifting with your back. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that's, and I've known a lot of hip dominant squatters and some people get away with it and do, I mean, Lane Norton is a very long femur hip dominant squatter and he's broken world records in powerlifting. Oh, ow. Like he's strong, but yeah. he's also hurt his back many times. And he's recovered from it. So it, it's always like, it's an impressive thing because he'll like almost break record, hurt his back really bad, be out, recover, triumph, and then break a record. Like it's cool to watch, but it's, you've seen it happen a couple of times. It's like, oh man, that's, that's rough. And, and if you watch him squat, 
it looks like a good morning sometimes. Yeah. Like his hips go so far back. Like my back would break. I couldn't yeah. do it. So he has like your body compensates. It's smart. So the fact that he's a hip dominant squatter over time, the right musculature inside of his core, inside of his hips, they did what they needed to do to be able to sustain that as he progressed it over time. Right. Whereas if you told me do a hip dominant squat, I would just hurt myself yeah. because my body's not ready for that. Yeah. You know? So I think it just depends. And that, that goes no for thanks. every exercise. Bicep curls can be bad for your elbows. If you already have elbow issues, you know, it's just, it's totally dependent on the person. For sure. All right. Uh, we got next one is from snacks and squats. Ooh. I hit a plateau. Go back into lower def or rev up more. So go back into a lower deficit or reverse up reverse more. Up more. Both are below true maintenance. These are shorter questions because they were on my Instagram, just so you guys know. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, they hit a plateau, they said? Yeah. Hit a plateau, should I go into a deeper deficit or reverse back up? Both are below maintenance, true maintenance. Um, okay, so yes, they are below true maintenance, but that's because you hit a plateau, which means that if you hit a plateau, you must have been dieting for a certain period of time, which means that you must have been losing weight up until this point because you wouldn't be hitting a plateau if you didn't lose weight, right? So if you started at 2,000 calories and you've lost 10 pounds and now you're at 1,500 calories, then of course your true maintenance isn't 2,000 calories anymore because that was your old maintenance before you lost all that weight, that those 10 pounds. And obviously metabolic adaptation occurs and has an influence on that new maintenance. But um, I think it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I mean, my question would be, okay, well, how heavy are you? How long have you been dieting? Yeah. You know, how much weight do you have to lose? I think that the best thing to do is usually in situations like this, if you're beyond, I'll, I'll give some like blanket statements of like general points. Like if you check these marks, do this. If you don't, don't, you know what I mean? Um, if you've been dieting less than 12 weeks, go back into a deficit. If you are still sleeping good and you don't have crazy cravings or, or hunger or anything like that, go deeper into a deficit. Um, if you still have 20 plus pounds to lose, go into a deeper deficit. Um, if all of those things check out, if you haven't been dieting for longer than 12 weeks, if you do have 20 pounds or more to lose and you don't have crazy biofeedback, but adherence is difficult due to social uh, reasons in your life and or you, you are hungry or have high cravings, take more diet breaks and keep dieting mm. because most research is going to show that diet breaks really just help psychologically with stress and adherence as well as reduce cravings and hunger. So knowing that, what I would say is like if you're only eight weeks in and you still have weight to lose and you and you don't have crazy bad biofeedback, like if you told me like, hey, my hair is starting to fall out, I'd be like, okay, you've been dieting too long. You probably have a thyroid issue because that's a symptom of thyroid dysfunction. Your hair is starting to fall out a little bit. It's thinning. Um let's get out of this fucking diet ASAP, right? But if you're not in one of those extreme circumstances, <clears throat> I would just say implement a diet break. It could be, it could literally be three days. It doesn't have to be a full week or two weeks or anything like that. Uh, a three to seven day diet break every three to five weeks. Just start doing that as a way to like keep your adherence high until you get to your goal and then reverse. I think most of the time people, there's just a lot of people that are afraid to diet too long or too hard and they're like, oh, I'm eight weeks in, I'm stuck. Should I, you know, should I reverse? And, and my hormones mess up. It's like, no, 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 no. Like you're just, this is the grinding part. 
this is the part where it gets kind of difficult and that's normal. The first couple months of a diet are usually pretty easy because you're just, you're motivated, you're just eating cleaner, you're planning, it's routine. A small deficit goes a long way, but at a certain point you start hitting sticking points you just got to eat less. Yeah. And it's, that's why dieting creates self-discipline. Like you need to go through the work. Now, if you're above 12 weeks, like let's say you're 12 to 16 weeks in, um, you only have less than 10 for sure, maybe even less than five pounds to lose. Um, and uh, your biofeedback is clearly impacted. Like you're not performing well in the gym. Sleep isn't where it should be. You're, you're a little more irritable with your family or your friends or whatever. Then I think you should reverse to maintenance and come back later. But I wouldn't do a slow reverse because a lot of times what people do is they get to this point and then they take two months to reverse, which is really just like one to two more months of dieting because you're just dragging that diet along until you get to your new maintenance. And then you get to maintenance and you're like, okay, I just reversed. Now I'm ready to diet again. It's like, no, now you got to stay there for another two months to heal your body to get back to where it would have been. So what I would do, and I was actually just talking to, I just recorded, for those listening, a research review podcast with Brandon before this on the the recent, most recent diet break study that came out. And... uh, we were talking about like, basically I accidentally periodized my fat loss phase perfectly. It takes a lot of patience. So I, I spent like that year just trying to gain weight and bulking, right? Yep. Spent about three to four months dieting. And then because of life, I was like, I need to take a break from dieting to manage stress. What I did was I stopped dieting and I immediately increased my calories to what I deemed my new maintenance, which meant I think I added five grams of fat and like 65 grams of carbs, which is a big jump for somebody in a diet. You know, I wasn't super low in calories yet. So like, 65 grams up would have been like literally going to my new maintenance. And then I have a free meal. So that, that Saturday is usually like three plus thousand calories. So if you factor that in, I probably added 75 to 85 grams of carbs, which is a big jump right away. Usually people go, let's add 20 and then let's add 10 and 10 and 10 until you get there, which would take months. I did it immediately. Went right up, gained a few pounds, but just water actually looked better. Spent two, at least if not three months at that maintenance, just training hard. Now I'm jumping back into a diet right? And I'm going to grind it out and finish this last bit of fat loss. That's perfect because we know diet breaks don't physiologically do anything like from a hormonal standpoint, because seven days just isn't long enough, which means you probably need at least two weeks, if not four plus weeks. So what I did is take no diet breaks, dieted until I knew that stress in my life would outweigh my ability to stay at the diet, spent two to three months on a diet break, which is plenty of time to restore hormonal and metabolic function and then dive back into a deficit. Caveat with that is it's going to take at least nine months. You know, and that's where people are like, whoa. And for somebody like me who's like, how much weight did I have to lose from the start of it? 20 pounds? How many more years do I have to live? I'm good. Let's do this. Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly how I think. Uh, I think it was, it's like the whole nine months is 1% of your life. Yeah. Fucking deal with it. Um, But, but like, that's a good example of like, if you really want to be most effective with your diet and with um, diet breaks, I think the smartest thing to do based on. What we know up until this point with diet breaks and metabolic adaptation, all that, is to start from a good place, which I did, which most people, you should spend enough time at maintenance or a surplus to where you have an appreciable amount of muscle, strength, and health. Even if you don't want to build muscle, at least just stay there enough to where you know you're healthy. To get some blood work done, your biofeedback, all that shit, like you are healthy. Jump into a deficit, spend 12 to 16 weeks dieting sustainably, so not too aggressive immediately reverse out. So don't baby the process of reverse, spend two to three months at maintenance and then dive into another uh, sustainable fat loss approach, which is going to be just as slow from a progress perspective. I wasn't losing much weight per week, but I lost enough, maintained that weight loss. And now I'm going to lose slow again for another three to four months. Altogether, I will have lost 20 pounds, which is a lot for me. I'm assuming I'll lose 20 pounds. We'll see what the end result is. I don't really know what it's going to be, but I started at 184 
So if I can get to 164, I'll probably be fucking shredded. And then I would probably go back up to like 170 because that's more sustainable for me. But I would want to like get peeled and do just like, even if it's like, all right, Travis, let's go get a couple sick shots of me looking shredded and then go get some sushi. <laughs> Nine months back for reverse. two pictures in a, in a sushi feast. Jeez. But for real though, that's part of the sport. Hey. Do you want quick, easy, and fast fat loss? So fast that it'll happen in 30 days and maybe all you have to do is take a pill? Well, you're shit out of luck because it's not going to happen. It takes hard work and patience, which is one of the reasons why I love Legion Supplements. They are open and honest about their marketing. And on the front page, they tell you that supplements don't overrule training and nutrition, but they do supplement a good diet and a good training program. So if your training's dialed in, your nutrition is on point, and you want to get that upper edge and take things to the next level to get the best results possible for your body and performance, check out Legion and save 20% today by heading to buylegion.com slash boom boom. Now, let's get back to the episode. All right. There you go, snacks and squats. Love that name. Um, what about this name? The next question comes from That's Really My Name. Oh, I've never heard that one before. Yeah. It's fine. Better. It's a lot of questions. Better growth from concentric or eccentric movements? Technically eccentric. So eccentric is the negative, concentric is the positive. So for people listening, uh, if you're doing a squat, the eccentric or the negative is the down phase of the movement. So as you're lowering into the squat, the concentric or positive is when you're squatting back up. Um, the On a leg extension, it's the exact opposite. You start with the concentric up and then you go to the eccentric down. So I think it, it, like, technically, overall, I would say eccentric because if we look at the research, wait, did she say more, more growth? Yep, says better, better growth from concentric or uh, eccentric. Movements. Okay, so um, better growth. It's uh, there's there is no there uh, to me they're equal. There's no either or. It's it's both combined. There is research that shows more muscle damage from eccentrics. So we do know that you damage the muscle more during an eccentric phase. The problem with that is, is they can't directly link muscle damage to muscle growth. All they can say is that muscle damage happens along the way to muscle growth. Oh, so yeah. if you're not, it's like the whole soreness thing. Like, do you need to get sore to build muscle? No. Soreness doesn't equal more muscle. Or sweating. However, or sweating for <laughs> fat loss. Same thing. However, and this actually would apply for that too. However, if you don't ever get sore, I'm questioning if you are doing enough to build muscle. So... If you get sore, I'm not like, oh, that's muscle growing right now. But I'm like, oh, yep, we're, we're doing enough. And if, if I check in in four days and you're like, dude, I'm still so sore, I'm like, oh, shit, we did too much. So soreness is a correlation and a gauge to determine how much muscle you might build. Well, but if you're still sore four days later because you've been lifting. If it's a, so I should add this. If it's the same muscle group. There you go. So if I was sore with my quads four days ago and now I'm sore my lats, that's fine. But like if I do squats on Monday and then f- Thursday comes, I'm still fucking dying. My squ- quads hurt. I'm like, yeah, we did too much. Yeah. Too much. Um, but you should be able to train the same muscle group 72 hours later. Gotcha. Three days later is basically the gist of it. Um, so with that being said, neither. Because if we look at and then the other thing to combat with that was some people would be like, okay, well, if, if muscle damage is an indicator of muscle growth, it doesn't directly mean it, but it means that you're working towards that, then yeah, eccentrics would lead us to believe that more stress is being placed on the muscle during the eccentric, which is true because, you know, this is why, like, if you're spotting me on a bench, we can put 300 pounds on there and I can lower it all the way down. But if you ask me to press up, I'm stuck. Yeah. I can't press 300 pounds. You would have to help me. So we can do overloaded eccentrics. So I can load the muscle up, stress muscle up more. So in one way, you're like, oh, yeah, eccentrics are better. 
But the other side of it is the concentric phase creates the actual contraction of the muscle and you can't have tension, like full mechanical tension of the muscle without a contraction, mm -hmm. right? And then also if we look at things like the assault bike or the sled um, or even like uh, high rep goblet squats, high rep anything where you're not fully locking out, you're not like there's not a heavy overload on the negative, but you're doing a lot of concentric reps, you get so much blood flow in that muscle, which means metabolite accumulation, lactic acid increases. Both of those things are directly related to muscle growth. So you could say the concentric is more important, right? What I would say is they're equal. I think the most effective way to build muscle, and this is proven by research, you need a, the whole entire stretch shortening cycle. The stretch cycle is the eccentric. The shortening cycle is the concentric. So when I'm going through a leg extension, the stretch cycle is when I'm lowering the weight under load. I'm stretching the muscle right? Because I'm flexing my knee, it's stretching my quad under load. And then the shortening cycle is when I contract and I go through the concentric. And now I'm literally shortening the muscle fibers because the muscle fibers, they work like if you look at like a actual anatomy page, it's like yeah. the sarcomeres and everything, they pull apart and they contract back together. It's like your fingers going in and out together, right? Mm. Without going through that whole entire thing, you're not generating full muscle hypertrophy. So I don't think you can split them up like that. You know what I mean? It's like the question of like, What's more functional, bench press or overhead press? I mean, you can go back and forth. I think overhead press, plenty of people think bench press. Yeah. There's research to kind of like lead us to both answers. Totally. You know? I don't know. Professor Boom Boom over here. That's right. Hell yeah, teaching us about muscle fibers. I'm trying to think of another analogy. Call you uh, what? Oh, man. Professor Boom? No, the guy that we just had on the podcast, muscle fibers. Oh, Andy Galpin? Yeah. Not right. even fucking close. That guy almost talks over my head. <laughs> <laughs> He's so fucking smart. My job as a podcaster is to bring people like that down, down. A, down a notch because um, they're so fucking smart. But I wish I had it, like analogies like Mike Isratel. Dude, that guy, like the shit he says has me cracking up sometimes. He's yeah. like, like. Who else had a bunch of analogies? Was that Jared Hamilton? Yeah. He had a lot of good ones. Yeah. Too. Even Paul, Paul has a good one. Paul, Paul Kleon, one of my mentor clients. Did he give you some? The, uh, Dude, I, I like uh, I coached him for a long time, and now I'm working with him again. Um, he just always has great analogies. He's there on Friday, right? Yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. He just has great analogies all the time. On Friday, we were talking about like, like, what's your life goal? Like, you know what I mean? Like, okay, we're we're doing these things in business, we're doing these things in life, but like, yeah, ninety day outcome, one year, like. But where do you want to, like, who do you want to be in five years, to five to 10 years, you know? And I was talking to him about how the importance of that, because that kind of gives you your North Star. And I was explaining me, you know, like, and we have similar ideas of what we want. And I just said, I was like, man, my, my ideal is like, is like, I want to impact so many fucking people that I'm just, I'm known because of what I did for them. I also want a big business that generates a lot of revenue and my employees make a lot of money. Um, I want to be able to do all this while being ripped and having a really good marriage and family. Because to me, that shows awesome. that I have all the aspects, you know? I'm, I'm spiritually, emotionally, and, and like mentally in a good place. I have a great family relationship. I have a big business, and I'm in really good health. And you know what I mean? Like, this is like this whole thing. And he goes, that's very similar to me. I always think of like, <laughs> it's not even really an analogy. He goes, oh, God. Star <laughs> Wars? Kind of. <laughs> you love Star Wars, guys. Partly, partly. He was like, uh, he was like, I've always just kind of pictured myself eventually being a uh, a combination of Yoda and Thor. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, dude, I mean, that's a great fucking analogy. Thor is like I just a Paul. beast. Yeah. And then Yoda's the wisest of all. Yeah. If he could throw Han Solo in there because Han Solo gets the ladies, like he's like, 
I mean, I guess he's probably not the best. Did Princess Leia end up with him? Dude, I'm not that big of a Star Wars I guy. think so, because she found out Luke Somebody's was like, gonna hate me. Luke was like her cousin or something. We better stop while we're ahead. Okay. Have you watched Game of Thrones? Yeah. No? Oh. <laughs> no, I have not. All right. That happens there, too. Like, Khaleesi and Jon Snow start falling in love. Sorry if I'm ruining it for anybody. And, like, Shannon was so happy. <laughs> I've already seen it, so I watched it again with her. Oh, yeah. And she was like, they're the perfect couple. This is great. Like, Jon Snow and Khaleesi. And I'm like, oh, just wait. And then, like, he finds out uh, she's his aunt. Oh, no. <laughs> and she's like. She doesn't know yet? No, she did. We, we finished it. Oh, I was going to say, she's good yeah. thing she doesn't listen. Yeah. And it was so funny. I was like, yeah, that's going to get ruined. Even the first character, she was like, oh, my favorite character for sure is, uh, fuck, now I can't remember his name, Jon Snow's brother. I was like, oh, he's going to get slaughtered in like two episodes. <laughs> he gets murdered at his wedding. Like, it's just, they call it the Red Wedding. It's brutal. Whoa. Yeah. The ending of that show is fucking horrible, too. That's what I've heard. Yeah. You, you, it basically stops and you go, wait, that whole thing's done? Eight eight seasons. I've been I've invested this much time. That was the last episode. <laughs> That's, uh, you, it, it's a it's crazy how many people have said that. Yeah. Well, you know what happened? I didn't I, I didn't even know this until uh, Travis Hunt told me he wouldn't know this. <laughs> but uh, apparently the um, the guy who wrote the books was was in the process of finishing the series when they started the movies and the movies caught up and passed him and they were basically like tell us what happens next so we can create these movies and he wouldn't tell them. Because he was like, I haven't written it yet. I'm not telling you. And so they just went off on their own and started writing, like making their own, mo- like the, own, the TV show go its own direction. And then the, this is what's crazy. The book series never finished because the author of the book got poisoned and died. Crazy. <laughs> what? If that's not a conspiracy yeah. on medieval science fiction Whoever novels. Whoever movies isn't. They kind of be up for questions. <laughs> oh my God. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that is. Fucking wild. Like, who gets poisoned nowadays? That's cr- fucking nuts. All right, let's move on to the next one. Yeah. We got a few more here. Next one is Bibble Works It. I don't know if it's Bibble. It's B-I-B-E-L. Changing the mental attitude of restriction, which ends up being a binge. It's a freaking circle, he says. Or she. Do you know it's a guy? That's true. It, well, it might be a girl. My fault. Bibble. Bibble. Um, Bible. Bibble. Changing, changing the mental attitude of of restriction, which ends up being a binge. Hmm. Circle. I think if you, this is so hard. Like, there's no, there's no one answer I can give you because I mean the 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 cheapskate answer that I'll, I always give is like it depends. You know, everybody's different, which is true, mm-hmm. very true here. But I also think. Like, certain things mean and do certain things for certain people differently, right? Like, so, for example, there, like, there's a book called The Big Leap, and it talks about self-sabotage. And when I read that book, completely changed my life. Not only did it help me stop what they're doing right now, which is self-sabotaging their results, right? They restrict, start getting results, and then they binge and self-sabotage their results, and then they start back up, and it's a cycle. It helped me see where I was doing that and see it before it came. So it was, like, the coolest thing because I would literally – be about to fuck up my results again in any area of my life, relationships, finances, work, my body, whatever. And I would see the the thing, like the actions and the bad habits I would do that would always take place before I would fall off or fail. I would see them before they happen and I'd be able to stop myself and go, dude, you're doing it again. As crazy as that sounds. But it allowed me to kind of like stop before I did stupid shit 
right? Um, in this case, it would allow you to stop before you binge and allow you to control that and figure out a way around it. Other people will read that book and be like, it's a book. It didn't do shit for me, right? Or they didn't have the same epiphany. Mm, yeah. So for some people, I would be like, yeah, read read The Big Leap. For some people, I'd say, listen to the audiobook, uh, Loving What Is, because it's about awareness and acceptance, and it, it gets really emotionally deep. And some people need, some people in this situation has nothing to do with dieting or macros. It has everything to do with emotions, their own mental abilities, and, and where they're at as a human being. Mm-hmm. Um for some people, I think you need accountability. You need a coach that's going to show you how to restrict intelligently because, yes, if you want to lose weight, you have to restrict. It's part of a diet. Like literally by definition, a calorie deficit or a diet means to restrict, right? You have to restrict something. So I would say like, you know what? Like you're going to have to restrict something. So let's let's like figure out a better way to do it. Maybe you're restricting too much. Maybe you're restricting the wrong things or the wrong way. Um, and, and then we, you know, or you have too many stressors outside of the diet and that's causing this restriction to be harder than it is for some people. It's, it's having conversations and journaling and doing meditation around these, this idea of changing the way you, you frame restriction. Is it restriction or is it self-discipline? You know, like for me, my diet started technically what's today, Tuesday, yesterday, right? Um, I'm not really dieting. I'm going through a primer phase. so I'm not like in a deficit or anything. But like I'm excited to start something, clean up my diet, restrict some things, be a little more accurate with what I weigh and measure, um, get back to only drinking once a week and, and fitting that in versus just saying, oh, it's my free day. I'm just going to do whatever. That's restriction. For some people, they're like, fuck, I got to restrict. For me, I'm like excited about it because to me, I'm like, I'm going to be leaner, healthier, and more disciplined by the end of this. So how you frame and see the perspective of what you're doing yeah. changes. You know, it's not really re- a negative restriction. It's a positive one. Um, so there's so many ways that you can take this. I think ultimately from like a diet perspective, usually it just means that you're restricting too much. If you're binging on the weekends or you're binging every once in a while, you're, you're going at it too aggressively. And it usually starts by uh, implementing a diet break because what I see happen, actually I'm going through this with, with a client right now where they did this exact same thing. And their problem was like, Saturday got out of hand. Sunday, they would like overly restrict. Monday, they would still restrict. Tuesday, they'd finally kind of be back on the diet. But essentially, there was like this wave of like super high calories, super low, and then a slow rise back up to a normal setting. But by the time they finally get to normal calories again, they're hungry as hell because it's Friday and then Saturday, the binge happens again, right? Totally. And that's their most social day due to traveling for work and stuff. So what I had them do is I was like, hey, like Sunday after this weekend, if, even if you go off the rails, like you, I don't want you to restrict. I want you to hit your normal calories, which is maintenance. That's what we're putting you at. And that was really hard for her. It took a, a s- multiple weeks because it was like the urge to restrict because they felt guilty for what they did yesterday was so high. But it took us going, like teaching her to go right back to their maintenance instead of restricting for week after week until they could control that binge because they didn't go into the weekend like dying for some freedom, right? So it first starts by just completely eliminating restriction because you can't eliminate the binges until you eliminate restriction. After you eliminate the binges because you took away the restriction, now we go back into the deficit. A wean into it. Wean into it, and it's a, it's a much less aggressive approach. Totally. So instead of going 500-calorie deficit, let's get after it, it's a 200-calorie deficit. Yeah. And you have a refeed on the weekend. So you, you can control having more calories or whatever it is. Um, and there's always, like, environmental things. You know, like, go to your house. Like, I mean, if you have kids, it's always harder. But, like, what's in your kitchen? Like, do you really need that? Like, throw it away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's the hardest part. It is the hardest part. And it's always well, funny to me because, like, even, like, like, for me, I don't have a problem, like, 
Shan's dad brought, <clears throat> every time he comes over, he brings, like, candy cookies, like, all the stuff for Blakely and stuff. And I'm like, bro, like, I'm trying to get her to eat veggies. No, you're not. Yeah, it's not working. Um, I'm saying, but like, you're not saying that to him. Oh, no, fuck no. <laughs> hey, Papa. <Bro. laughs> yeah. um, but he, he brought, a, he brought, like, a whole fucking tray of cinnamon rolls. They look delicious. I walk past them every day. It doesn't yeah. matter to me because yeah. I'm past that. I don't have that urge anymore. Back in the day, I would have fucking dominated those because <laughs> I would have been like, I'm not, I'm not going to let these go to waste. I'm going to crush them. You know what I mean? So my point with that is, is like people will say like, oh, well, there's Oreos in here because we bought them for something. But like, I don't want to waste them. There's kids starving stuff. It's like, okay, well, you either eat them or you throw them away. But no matter what, those kids starving aren't going to get these Oreos. You're right, you're right. You're not sending these anywhere. Yeah. So if you really care about those kids, send them money. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. We pay for their meals because we know that we're not going to safely send food over there. Yeah. So we work with Children's Hunger Fund. Yeah. They provide that. Fact. But that, that excuse just pisses me off because I'm like, look, you know damn well. Take it to the food bank. Take it to the food bank. Yeah, do that. Or just fucking throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> like, who cares? Yeah. Like, just throw it away. The Nesco who makes Oreos, they're going to be fine. You already paid them the money. Just fucking throw it away and stop buying them. You know what I mean? Or like if you want your kid to have them, buy a smaller package of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's that simple. So I think that that's a big one too is just your, your food environment changing yeah. what's there and what's available. Totally. It's such an easy thing, but it's, ab- right. it's abnormal for people to do. Yeah. To actually do. Trying to get... Uh, Cody's blood pressure up today. <laughs> I hate that excuse. All right. Um, going to the next one here. We got one from Maria Bearson. It says, uh, best advice for someone that's considering pursuing coaching full-time. I'd probably give the same advice that I gave yeah. the first person with the online training. Yeah. Get get the right certifications. Um Read a lot, post content, give value, and just get experience. You know, just be patient. Like, I keep it simple. Just yeah. be patient. Like, plan. And I think all the plans I made for business, like, were always, like, five to ten year goals. And I always hit them before that. But it's because I had the mindset of I'm going to do this as long as it takes. And I think that's the big key. Um, make good connections in the industry would be the only other thing I would add to the last question that I answered on this is, like, go to events try to talk to people, comment on people's posts so you can get recognized, stuff like that. Like I always engage with people that were above me. I always tried to go to events. Yeah. Go to events, network with people, interview people, like do anything I could. Um, I mean, and she's actually doing a good job of that. She, comm- yeah. she, she engaged with a lot of our stuff. She, she sent me a handwritten card to the warehouse, like just thanking me for content and stuff. Um, so thank you for sending me that. Like that's, I mean, little stuff like that. Like I'll never forget her name Yeah. or her default picture. I guarantee because I got a card from her, so I went to Instagram, searched her, and DM'd her, thanking her. I'll never forget her name now. That's you dope. know what I mean? Like, so for me, I used to do that stuff too. I'd send people books, and uh, say it's from Cody Boom Boom. Yeah, nobody forgets. Like, I got a present from a guy named Boom Boom. Nobody forgot that. You know what I mean? Like, so I think stuff like that goes a long way. Dope. <laughs> uh, I think this guy saw our Taylor Life Challenge. The 30-day Taylor Life Challenge, because this guy says, what are the benefits of doing a cold shower? There are none. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the only known benefit that I actually know of is, uh, and this isn't... Awareness? Like, it's, wakes you up? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, this isn't even proven by research. I think this is person to person. Some people just might piss off. But um, it's, there's, like, I've never met anybody who 
does hard shit just to do hard shit that says it was pointless. Yeah. You know, they're like, I'm, I'm tougher. I'm more disciplined. I'm more resilient. I can work through challenges and, and roadblocks in my life. Let like, I don't get agitated as easy. Cause fucking I do cold showers every morning. They suck. Nothing in my day is going to suck worse than that ice cold shower. <laughs> you know what I mean? I hope so. I mean, yeah, if but if, if you do, you're, you're getting better prepared for whatever's going to be worse than that. Yeah. You know, so true. I think, I think that's the biggest benefit. I know there's like the Wim Hof method and there's like all this stuff on like ice baths and stuff. And ice baths can be helpful for like inflammation between, uh, sporting events, but they're not great for muscle hypertrophy or fat loss or anything like that. Um, we did a research review on that stuff. So it's like, we did a cold and heat therapy and talked about that in March. Yeah. Um, cold therapy is great for like joint inflammation to an extent but there's also a lot of research coming out that shows like like you know i told you about it like maybe don't ice after the injury or surgery instead get get blood flow there that's going to work better um there's some like high level physical therapists and and physiotherapists like talking about this which is surprising because we've always been told cold but if there is a benefit it's going to be cold on joints to reduce inflammation to help the healing really it's just numbing the pain and allowing you to chill out and calm down and let it heal. Uh, heat therapy is going to be better for recovery from muscles because it doesn't blunt hypertrophy. There you go. But so, not injuries. Yeah. But other than the mental side of it, I see no benefit to cold, <laughs> to cold showers. I won't be, I won't be doing them yeah. anymore. I mean, th- the challenge is done. I'm done. I'm not, that was one thing on there that I was like, probably never again, <laughs> unless I do the ch- challenge with the members and we decide to do that, uh-huh. but we'll see. All right. Next question, uh, comes from, Raven, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Raven04 says, how do you set up a refeed day or days? Um, I usually set these up based on the beginning prescription. So if I'm doing refeed days, I almost always start those from day one. So when I give an initial fat loss protocol, I know what their maintenance calories are because we're there right now. And I know what their deficit calories are because we're about to go into that. So I literally just keep one day per week at maintenance calories and I just increase carbs. At most, I'll increase fats five to 10 grams at most. And that's only if I feel like this person doesn't have enough fats. Like if they're following a low fat, high carb diet, which is is usually ideal for, for aesthetic purposes, I might add five to 10 grams of fat on their refeed day, not because it's helpful, but because if you add 150 grams of carbs on your refeed day, it can just be hard to adhere to a low fat diet. You just need a little bit more wiggle room to fit something in socially or just because whatever you're cooking. Um, so I will add a little bit, but basically it's pretty simple. Like, okay, we're at, we start somebody at 2,500 calories or at maintenance. And then I drop them to 2000 calories, right. For a deficit. I just bring calories back up to 2,500 by increasing carbs one day per week. And I do that from day one. Totally. So that way we just start with that. And then as I reduce calories throughout the deficit, not every single time, but most likely every other adjustment. So if I drop them to 1800, I'm not necessarily going to drop them to 2300 for their refeed. I'll try to keep it at that 2500. If that 2500 clearly shows a big fluctuation in their weight, then I'll drop it down too. Mm. So sometimes you have to bring the refeeds down as you bring the calories down throughout the diet. Sometimes you can get away with not doing it every time you adjust the diet and try to keep them high because there is some research that shows refeeds can be at a surplus and not have negative effects because it's just one day. Um, If it's for adherence purposes... Um, it depends on the person because sometimes the refeed will be for adherence purposes. Sometimes it's because I'm working with, like I'm working with a guy right now who's already lean. He's leaner than average, but he wants to be like absolutely shredded. 
like bodybuilding shredded. And for him, he has a one refeed day every fourth day. Uh. So it's like three days in a row of a deficit and then a fourth day is a refeed. I'm not doing it for adherence. He'll literally follow anything I give him. He's really into this shit. He has a dope home gym and he's an entrepreneur. He owns a business. So he makes his own schedule. Perfect candidate to be like, do this and he's going to crush it, you know, super disciplined. But because he's already lean and he's trying to get shredded, I want to keep his muscles full throughout the process and make sure his training doesn't die down. So every fourth day, fourth or fifth day, I'm like, here, have some more carbs, you know? So for people like that, it's just, it's not adherence, it's muscle endurance, muscle glycogen recovery and performance. Uh, for people who had it's adherence, it could be just every Saturday if it's a free day. It could be every few weeks and it's more of a diet break where it's like a couple days. You give him more carbs once a week, every four to five days, or you bump it up every four to five days and go and ongoing. Literally every fifth day of his diet is, is a high carb day. So he has a But then he's day. back down that sixth. Exactly. Day. Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Um, and then the other people, it's every Saturday. So it's every yeah. seventh day. And then some people, it's like, hey, every two weeks, we're going to take a two-day refeed. There you go. Some people, it's it's more of a precaution. Like, I know this person will follow a 12-week diet, but because I want to make sure that they don't fall off, I'm going to give them a one-week diet break every five or six weeks. You yeah. know, so during a 16-week diet, they might have two or three diet breaks. You know, nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. But there's just so many ways to spin it. But usually it's, it usually starts at the very beginning. I'll start somebody at maintenance, and then I determine what category they fall in, like what's going to be the most beneficial from a duration perspective, one day, two days, three days, one week. Once I figure that out, then I determine how long do I think this person can withstand a diet and needs a diet. Because for some people, it's like, I think their adherence is going to fall off after five days because they just, you know what I mean? But their body's stubborn. They're not going to lose any weight in five days. So I have to figure out different adherence tools to make sure that they can stick with this diet for two full weeks, then give them a couple days of refeeding. Um, Just pre-planning that plan. Exactly. So it it depends on the person, their current physique, how long they're going to be in the diet, um, their hormonal status, their stress status, uh, and then then ultimately adherence. That's the biggest thing is like, what is their adherence? You know, it, perfect world. I would do it. Like I said earlier, I wouldn't do any refeeds or diet breaks. It would just be like a solid diet phase of like eight to 12 weeks and then a full month off and then eight to 12 weeks and a full month off. And wow. that would get you more shredded. Yeah. Um, a full month diet break. Yeah. Cause then it's like a full maintenance. Phase. Cause then you actually see reversal of hormones, yeah. like of hunger hormones, gotcha. sex hormones, stuff like that. Metabolism starts to increase. But if you take a week, you're not going to see those hormone changes. You're just going to see better adherence and psychological ability to diet. Totally. But I think uh, in eight weeks, eight to 12 weeks isn't a crazy long time, but you can get pretty lean eight, 12 weeks. So if you had two eight to 12 week periods separated with a one month diet break in the middle, that's like the perfect diet to make sure that you get really lean and you can sustain it and you don't feel like dog shit at the end of it. Totally. So. Cool, man. All right. That was the last one for today. Got a lot of good questions today on uh, Instagram. Let them know what you like better Monday or Tuesday. I think Tuesday might be the best day to do it because, like you said, I think Monday, like, people are fired up to ask questions, but they also busy at the same time. I feel like I get... I think later in the week would be worse. I feel like the first part of Monday, I barely get any questions sent in, and then, like, I I check it after dinner, and it's like... And I'm yeah. like, oh, fuck, well, I'm not answering any of these. Yeah. <laughs> it's like nighttime. Yeah. I'm hanging with the fam. But, um, yeah, maybe I'll post it like Monday night or something. But let me know. Shoot me a DM on Instagram. Uh, let me know what kind of way you like those Q&As. And obviously just go engage my content. I always like hearing from you guys. Um, and that's a wrap. So if you like the podcast, go leave a rating and review. If you want good training, hit up the Taylor Trainer. That's as far as I'll take it. I'm not going to do a full ad on it. TaylorTrainer.net.